If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. שלום וברוכים הבאים לעוד פרק בעונה השלישית של הפודקאסט צריך עיון. אני רעות זעירי ולצידי ענבל גולני. היי ענבל. שלום רעות. ביני אשכנזי היום לא איתנו על תקן המפיק הנפקד. היום אנחנו ממשיכים לדבר על רגולציה ותחבורה ציבורית ועל הקשר ביניהם. המרואיינת שלנו היום היא עורכת הדין ארין אברהמס. ארין היא היועצת המשפטית של חברת ויה, זאת חברת סטארט-אפ ישראלית. היא נוסדה בישראל, אבל היא מפעילה את השירותים שלה רק בארצות הברית, ואנחנו בעצם נדבר על זה. בגלל שזה המצב, אז השיחה כולה תהיה באנגלית. אז תתכוננו. גם בפרק הזה אנחנו ננסה להבין למה בעצם, סליחה, מהי תחבורה שיתופית, איך אנחנו יכולים לפתור את הבעיות, ואיך היא יכולה לעזור לנו לפתור את הבעיות של הפקקים. מקווים שתהנו, ובעיקר שתעבירו את הזמן בנעימים, בעודכם עומדים בפקק בדרך לעבודה. ועכשיו אני מעבירה את המיקרופון לענבל. Hello everyone, hello to our listeners, uh, we switched to English um, and we want to say thank you and hello to Erin Abrams, the VIA's general counsel. Hi Erin. Hi Inbal and Ruth, uh, thank you so much for having me on the podcast and uh, thanks for letting me do it in English. I know that you all uh, usually do it in Hebrew and I, I would have liked to do it in Hebrew but uh, unfortunately my Hebrew is pretty limited to what I learned uh, growing up in Hebrew school and uh, so unless you all wanted me to recite my Haftarah portion, it would be a very uh, short podcast. But I have been trying to uh, improve my Hebrew recently because I work with a lot of uh, uh, Hebrew-speaking folks at VIA. Um, I've been watching Fauda with the subtitles off and I've been using my Duolingo app. So maybe next time we'll do it in Hebrew. Yeah, we'll keep your word for it. <laughs> Uh, so thank you again so much for joining us. Um, it's actually the middle of the night here in Israel. I guess it's um, the middle of the day for you in New York. So uh, we think it's a great time to, this, to have, this, uh, have this call. Um, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for me. Uh, so first, uh, we would like to start by hearing just a little bit about you um, and your background. Um, how is it? like to be a general counsel in a startup? What uh, brought you to be a general counsel at VIA? Uh, what can you tell us about yourself and our listeners? <laughs> sure, so uh, I uh, went to law school at Harvard and I, when I graduated, I was a, a white collar criminal defense lawyer. I worked at a big law firm called Free Frank. Mm -hmm. I did securities law and uh, white collar criminal defense law and uh, international um, public corruption law. Uh, and I did that for about seven or eight years. Uh, and then I moved in-house. I moved to Citigroup, where I ran a compliance uh, division that was dedicated to uh, preventing financial crimes at the bank, uh, specifically insider trading. Uh, and I found out about VIA through sort of a, a fortuitous coincidence. I had a very good friend that I went to law school with who knew our founder, Daniel Remote. Uh, they had both worked together uh, at a prior job. And... Her husband had recently moved from a bank to a startup, and he was loving his life and finding very high job satisfaction. Mm -hmm. uh, and she told me that Daniel was looking to, to bring on uh, a lawyer at a very early stage in VIA's history because uh, VIA operates in a very heavily regulated space, and he thought it was important to add a lawyer to the company at a very early stage. Uh, and then she thought really highly of him and you know, had worked with him in the past and had nothing great things to say about him. And mm -hmm. so we met. 
And I, I immediately, upon hearing about his vision for uh, revolutionizing the way that people get around and sort of democratizing transportation, uh, providing a, a dynamic, efficient uh, system for people to, to get from point A to point B, I started drinking the Via Kool-Aid. I got very excited about the possibility of uh, having a job that I could feel really passionate about and feel that I was really contributing to something very meaningful every day. Uh, and instead of being such a specialist in my legal career, really moved to a field where I could be more of a generalist, uh, and not only learning about the substantive body of law, um, you know, governing mm-hmm. transportation regulation, but dealing with everything that a general counsel at a startup needs to deal with, from uh, regulatory and licensing issues, commercial contracts, and corporate law issues, patents and technology, and privacy and cybersecurity law, um, through litigation and anything else you could think of, uh, they all tend to come up in my day job now. So that was about four years ago, and I haven't looked back since. Oh, wow. So um, tell us a little bit about VIA now, um, which um, we all heard about VIA, that it was an Israeli-founded, uh, Israeli-founded startup. Um, it operated. It started. It started its operations in New York City. Uh, but we would love to hear more from you. Uh, you told us a little bit about um, how you found your way to um, into Via. Um, that you met uh, Daniel Ramot, the Via's CEO and founder and co-founder. Uh, tell us a little bit uh, more about Via's background, um, what it does today, how it's different uh, from other ride-sharing apps. Sure. So VIA provides a software platform for, for on-demand mobility solutions. So we're a tech company and we're headquartered in New York City. But as you mentioned, we have deep roots in Israel. Uh, our founders are from Israel originally, uh, uh, Daniel Ramot and Oren Shogal. And uh, we have a team of engineers that sits in Tel Aviv. Uh, mm-hmm. The idea for VIA actually comes from Israel. It comes from the concept of shows. Um, where our founders originally envisioned creating a software system uh, that would enable you to book a shirut on your phone, so sort of like an app for shirut. Uh, and from that idea, Via was born. Uh, you asked about how we're different than other ride-sharing apps. I would say you know, one way that we're different from other ride-sharing apps is because our technology uh, at Via is really about re-engineering public transit from a, a rigid, fixed system of routes that are on a schedule to a fully dynamic, on-demand network. So VIA's mobile app will connect multiple passengers who are headed in the same direction uh, and group them together so it allows riders to seamlessly share a vehicle. We tend to use a higher capacity vehicle that can fit more riders in them. Uh, so VIA really operates like a completely dynamic updating in real time, uh, like a dynamic bus. Uh, we first launched in New York City in, uh, in September of 2013. And the VIA platform now operates all around the United States. We have New York City as our largest, our core market. We also operate our direct-to-consumer service in Chicago and in Washington, D.C. And we operate in Europe through a joint venture with uh, the parent company of Mercedes, with a subsidiary of uh, Mercedes-Benz Van. And that company is called Via Van. Um, Mm -hmm. We operate in Amsterdam, in London, and we're soon launching in Berlin through a collaboration with uh, the BBG, the public transit provider in Berlin. So VIA's technology also is deployed all around the world through partner projects with public transportation agencies. So in addition to operating our, our direct-to-consumer model that you might be familiar with from New York, Chicago, and D.C., uh, VIA also licenses its on-demand technology to a variety of public sector transit agencies that have transit needs. So in Arlington, Texas, and West, West Sacramento, California, in the United States, for example, uh, with the Land Transit Authority in Singapore, 
we license the VIA technology to provide on-demand transit and help municipalities solve their transportation problems, like you know, lack of bus lines uh, to take people to neighborhoods that have recently grown, increased their population, or uh, increased uh, working opportunities in those neighborhoods, or underperforming bus lines that are underutilized and uh, not that many people take those buses, or they need stops in places where they don't exist. Uh, VIA can help solve all those, all those kinds of problems. We also license our technology to public transit operators like Keolis and Arriva uh, in the United Kingdom and Go Ahead, Auckland Transport in New Zealand. And we even integrate our technology in, into taxi fleets. Like, for example, in New York City, we have a partnership with Curb, a taxi provider. Uh, and finally, we license our technology to private companies. Like in Japan, for example, we recently launched a collaboration with Mori, a commercial real estate landlord, uh, to provide services to uh, employees that are in its commercial real estate businesses. Uh, and finally, an exciting collaboration that we just launched yesterday, my personal favorite, uh, we launched um, a collaboration with Harvard University to power its uh, evening campus shuttle. So there's lots of different ways that we can seamlessly integrate the VIA platform uh, into the public transit infrastructure and try to provide cutting-edge on-demand mobility innovation. But can you elaborate on the, the, the main problem that VIA solves uh, within the, the cities? In New York and Amsterdam, you spoke about uh, the sub- suburbs, I guess. Uh, but what was the main issue that it was supposed to solve from the beginning? Yeah, so I think one of the main problems in, in New York City and other densely populated urban areas is you know, the lowest cost transportation option you have uh, is, is the bus or maybe a subway system if the subway system exists. But unfortunately, the, the bus and the subway system uh, have tended to uh, suffer from certain problems like being overcrowded, having frequent shutdowns, having frequent delays, um, not necessarily going to and from the neighborhoods that people need them the most. Uh, and in New York City and other places, uh, that creates sort of a, a dichotomy where if you live on a bus line or a subway line and you work on a bus or a subway line, and you can take those services point to point, then okay, you have a, a low-cost transportation option available for you. It's not perfect, but generally it works. You have a decent experience. Uh, if you live and work on a place that's not directly on a subway line or a bus line, uh, and you have to transfer or you have to take a subway to a bus and then walk, then you have a pretty poor transit experience. And the only choices that are available to you in, in that case are um, either to, to take a private car, to drive your own private vehicle, or to take uh, you know, a taxi, or to use a, a private for-hire vehicle. Um, and so VIA really is providing a solution that democratizes transportation in a way, uh, and says we have a, a low-cost solution to you. It doesn't cost much more than a bus or a subway ride, uh, but it goes anywhere you need it to go. It goes exactly from the place you are to the place you're going, point A to point B. Um, and so it provides more of like an egalitarian public transit solution to New Yorkers and other people who live in densely populated urban areas. It's, it's very nice to hear that it's not only in Israel that there's such uh, traffic issues and that the public transportation is not um, your best solution to get to work. And that's, um, uh-huh. and just to give our um, Israeli listeners um, uh, maybe a clearer understanding of, of, of of the via vehicle, so, um, and Erin, that's what you, you said, the shirut, it's the muniot shirut um, that we are familiar with here in Israel, uh, more in Tel Aviv, but I guess I assume in other cities as well. Um, so that is, um, that concept 
I, I, the concept of uh, Moniot Shirut and uh, what VIA is um, now uh, offering in cities around the world is uh, something we, um, in, here in Israel, we've been using for quite a while, um, especially due to the fact that on Saturday, um, there's really no public transportation. So um, that was, uh, that is one of the main alternatives um, here in Israel. Um, so you mentioned that um, VIA started, uh, began its operations in New York City, which is, and I think you mentioned it, um, it uh, has very strict rules and regulations, um, heavily regulated when it comes to transportation, especially when it comes to taxi licenses. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit more how you managed to make your way through all those regulations um, and requirements for taxi licenses in New York City when you just when VIA just started its operations. Yeah, sure. Happy to talk to you a little bit more about that. So, you know, New York City is, is the largest and most complex market for these kind of services, and it's also one of the most highly regulated markets in the world. Uh, in New York City, we use only professional drivers that have been licensed by the Taxi and Limousine Commission, uh, unlike in other markets where we can use what we call citizen drivers and use the, the TNC model, the Transportation Network Carrier model, or we can use uh, drivers just like you and me that have a, a regular driver's license and regular driver's insurance. Um, in New York City, we only use this class of professional drivers. We had to obtain a, a license from the Taxi and Limousine Commission to be licensed as a black car base. Um, and so why launch in New York City? You know, we're headquartered in New York City, and we think it's a, a great city to launch a business like this. You know, I, I'll try not to sing on your podcast, because I'm really bad at singing. Um, but I kind of like to say that we have, like, the, the Frank Sinatra theory of, you know, if we can make yeah. it here, we can make it anywhere. Um, and I think that theory has somewhat proven true. Um, and that the operating experience that we've had in New York City has, has proven really helpful when we navigated a, a complex regulatory environment in a city like London, um, which was also a highly evolved regulator, and there was rigorous scrutiny around new market entrants like us due to some of the highly publicized missteps by other players in the market. Um, you know, we really had to comply with a very high bar of regulatory scrutiny, um, you know, paying a license that wasn't just a, a pro forma license. Um, but uh, required multiple submissions and you know, multiple layers of, of proof to show a regulator that you know, before we drive a single mile in their city, uh, we're, we're, we're prepared to comply with all of the applicable laws and, and show the regulator and show the local officials in that city uh, that the service that we provide really adds something for the citizens. Um, so you, know, you asked about new market entrants and, and how players like VIA can enter the market. Um, you know, I think a big part of that is defining what is that market. So, you know, we don't necessarily view other ride-sharing services as, as direct competitors, and we don't necessarily view ourselves as you know, an entrant into the taxi market per se. We serve a, a slightly different market. So, you know, we're a technology company at heart, and we enable efficient public transit systems. So, to me, the most interesting thing uh, in thinking about this regulatory landscape is thinking about how innovations in technology can expand the size and the scope of the market to cover the whole field of public transit and also to explore new sources of funding for innovators uh, in this space and think about like public-private collaborations like we're doing in Berlin and Singapore um, and think about government grants for microtransit, for example. Mm -hmm. So, and we also heard that there's a recent, um, there's been a, a new law actually in, uh, in New York City that's um, a local law that's placed a one-year pause on new uh, for-hire vehicle licenses. 
So um, just for background um, to our listeners, this is um, just for New York City, basically setting sort of a, a cap or, a, or, well, they call it just a one-year pause. They're just not giving any more licenses for new, uh, for, for anyone who wants to be, a, I guess, a, a ride-sharing app driver. That's our. That's sort of our understanding of this uh, new, new law in New York. Um, maybe you can tell us, maybe a little bit more about it, and if you think, well, how it would affect uh, Via's uh, operations, and maybe it might bring some advantages to companies that like Via that already exist in the in the New York City market. Right, so this new law passed recently, um, and it does essentially cap the addition of new vehicles to uh, for higher bases. There are some exceptions, like for example, for wheelchair accessible vehicles or vehicles that uh, serve underserved neighborhoods and outer borough markets. Uh, but generally, it's about a 12-month pause while the the TLC studies the effects of the um, uh, for higher vehicle uh, market on on congestion. And there's a few other pieces of the law that have to do with um, you know, setting a minimum floor for driver pay, um, mm-hmm. and then also requiring uh, ride-sharing companies to uh, obtain a special license as uh, high-volume dispatchers. Uh, so for the most part, you know, I-, I would say we do think that the passage of this new law is, is a step in the wrong direction for New Yorkers. It generally tries to pin the blame for New York City's failing public transit infrastructure onto ride-sharing companies, when, in fact, recent studies by transportation experts and economists tend to show that ride-sharing services are not a major cause of traffic in New York City. There are other uh, more prevalent causes of congestion, and that pooled rides like VIA actually can decrease congestion over time by increasing vehicle utilization. So instead of rolling New York City backwards to recreate a structure that reminds people of the taxi medallion system with all of its flaws, we really wish that the city council was willing to consider proposals to enable like old and forward-thinking solutions to urban transit problems. The VIA system actually works best in partnership with forward-thinking cities like Singapore, Sydney, Oxford, Berlin, Los Angeles, Arlington, Texas, um, and a bunch of other cities that have decided to use the VIA software solution to supplement their public transit infrastructure and replace underperforming bus lines with fully dynamic on-demand routes. So that's the direction we would like to see New York City go in the future. Um, Although we do support some aspects of these new regulations, I would say, you know, minimum earnings for drivers, for example, and collecting data on vehicle utilization rates. Uh, We do think that, you know, some of those policies make sense. Uh, But we'd rather see cities like New York City adopt a sensible congestion pricing scheme uh, that treats taxis and private vehicles the same as for higher vehicles, and it also incentivizes people heading in the same direction to share rides uh, through a taxation system that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things I think that VIA has as, as an advantage in this market, as much as we're not necessarily a fan of these uh, new regulations, I do think that there are certain ways in which VIA is well positioned uh, in a market where these uh, these new regulations exist. Uh, because drivers on the VIA platform tend to earn more with VIA than with any other ride-sharing company, a recent study by the Tax and Limiting Commission shows that driver median earnings on the VIA platform are 50% higher than with uh, when, when drivers drive with their peers on other ride-sharing services. Um, and we're also the only company that currently pays drivers uh, above the hourly minimum that's recommended by the TLC. Um, you know, another reason, another way in which we're kind of unique um, mm-hmm. in looking at this new regulatory landscape is 
The new rules actually require companies to report on how effectively their vehicles are utilized by passengers. And this is part of the justification that's necessary for companies to obtain the newly required licenses to operate as high volume dispatch bases. Uh, and because VIA's core product is shared rides, we have the highest utilization rates in the industry. And we believe that over time, this data will show that our utilization rates actually contribute to a reduction in congestion and emissions. Um, you know, a recent study uh, by TLC showed that we have the highest vehicle efficiency and utilization rate uh, of any other ride-sharing service. And the last thing I would note about this legislation is that, you know, because our core product is shared, we don't have an indefinite need, or, or rather an infinite need, to keep adding more and more vehicles to, to our platform in order to serve New York City effectively. Uh, the goal for the VIA platform is to operate at, at maximum efficiency and increase the aggregation of passengers headed in the same direction in the higher capacity bands. So unlike other players in the industry, uh, we don't have a, a need to continuously add more and more and more vehicles to our platform because at a certain point, we can just increase uh, aggregation through efficiency and through efficient utilization. So you know, while I can't say that we're proponents of the legislation overall, you know, we generally think that it does tend to stifle innovation and, and penalize tech companies like us for New York City's deteriorating public transit system, I do think that VIA will continue to be a bright spot in the city's public transit ecosystem for a long time to come. Okay, so in order to understand the effect of VIA uh, on the market in uh, New York, can you tell us, please, can you please tell mm -hmm. us uh, how, many people, how many people in New York City use your service on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, just for us to understand the, the numbers? Yes, I can't exactly get into exactly how many rides uh, we have you know, on a daily or on a weekly basis. We've done over uh, 30 million rides so far to date. In our service and New York City is our, our core market uh, so we are providing you know uh, hundreds of thousands of rides uh, in, in, in New York City so um, you said in you, that your regulation could um, sometimes be uh, helpful and sometimes is needed at what level do you think this regulation um, in should come from should it be as it is today in the local government level city level Should it, do you think it should be more um, a uniform type rules? What, what do you think should, what, what is your opinion on this? Um, where should regulation be coming from? So in the status quo, most regulation of the ride sharing industry occurs at the local or municipal level. And you know, frankly, it's hard to envision a, a one size fits all approach to ride sharing regulation because even within the US or, or across Europe say, uh, what works in Chicago or New York might not be the same approach that works in a mid-sized city like you know, Arlington, Texas, or uh, Sacramento, California. So you know, um, I, I would back up and say, you know, in terms of our approach to regulation, unlike some other players in the states, we at VIA don't view regulators as our enemy. We don't think regulations are, are inherently bad. We think that VIA works best in partnership with cities and collaboration with them. Um, so that's an approach that we've always taken, uh, is trying to make our regulators comfortable with our technology and show them that we're good corporate citizens and that our technology is a value add for the population that we're serving. Um, so I, while I understand you know, that most ride-sharing regulation will tend to occur at the, the local and municipal level, I do think there, there will be continued interest in regulating our business at the U.S. federal level or in Europe at the EU-wide level. But especially around big picture issues that have been more traditionally the domain of national governments. For example, uh, setting national safety standards for autonomous vehicles, regulating uh, in the areas of cybersecurity and privacy issues, 
in the U.S. that's been an extremely hot topic, and in Europe, especially now that GDPR has been enacted, we hear more and more about that, uh, and around issues relating to the future of work. Uh, we Fortunately, at VIA, we have a great public policy team that has continued to be very proactive in seeking out and developing opportunities to be part of an ongoing dialogue on a local and national level, particularly around how governments can, can help to create incentives for people to share rides whether that's through tax benefits, like, you know, using commuter benefits to pay for your VIA, um, or subsidies for microtransit, or creating other types of grants uh, for innovative mobility experiments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, um, I mean, definitely a, a very interesting approach, working together with the regulators. Um, may, I, I really hope, you know, this could be, bring some, um, some change. Um, and while we are still on the topic of regulations, um, what could you tell us maybe what about what was the biggest regulatory challenge um, that VIA faced since it started its operations? You know, I'd say that the recent regulatory challenge that, that we faced uh, was around the, the gap legislation in, mm -hmm. in New York and figuring out, uh, you know, what our position on that legislation was. And then when it became apparent that legislation was going to pass, uh, thinking about a way in which we um, you know, could use our advantages to continue to thrive and continue to grow our business um, in an environment in which that legislation had passed. I think another really large structural regulatory challenge um, was around obtaining our license to operate in London through via van. You know, that environment was extremely tough and competitive, and our competitors did, did uh, you know, did create an environment where regulators were very mistrustful of us, and we had to uh, go the extra mile in convincing regulators uh, that we were uh, equipped and willing to abide by the laws in their jurisdiction. It was a very lengthy process to obtain that license, um, you know. But I'm happy to report that we did obtain that license, and we launched in London. We've seen really excellent growth. Um, you know, another big regulatory challenge I would say uh, was around GDPR and figuring out how to do everything to prepare uh, VIA's growing European business to comply with uh, the general data protection law in advance of the May 25th, 2018 uh, implementation. It was a pretty heavy mm -hmm. lift for our legal team to get ready and educate uh, everyone about what needed to be done on, on the privacy front and with our internal policies. Uh, but I'm happy to say that I'm, I'm pretty pleased with how that turned out. And I think for a company of our size and scale, uh, we mounted a pretty successful effort to get ready for that in time. So um, that was definitely something um, I think every company around the world had um, had that deadline. Every um, tech company. Well, I think it's more than just the tech companies. I think that's I think that well that's for a different episode. But yeah. <laughs> I think the tech companies were the were the companies that were more ready for it, um, and I think the regulators forgot that it also applies to uh, non-tech companies which were not ready for it, but they still had to be mm -hmm. compliant with it. So that's for a totally other episode. Um, so here, I think this is um, mainly for our Israeli uh, listeners uh, um, and audience. I think this uh, is one of the things that we're mo most cur curious to um, to know. We mentioned the Israeli roots of VIA and um, the fact that the two co-founders are Israelis. There's uh, R&D, um, there's a lot of uh, developers here in Israel and Tel Aviv. Uh, we were wondering, and the audience is also wondering, why VIA decided not to open operations in Israel? So, you know, as you correctly note, uh, VIA has a deep Israeli roots, and we're very proud of our uh, Israeli heritage. Uh, we, we believe that the Israeli market represents a, a huge opportunity. 
there's a ton of potential in Israel, and we are continuing to actively look and explore uh, for the right opportunity to bring the VIA solution to Israel. We're looking for the right partner. We think it makes sense uh, for VIA to launch its services in Israel uh, with a partner uh, to operate, and we're looking at potential partners in the private sector as well as government partners. Uh, so, so don't be disappointed. Be excited. Because uh, we're continuing <laughs> to explore opportunities to operate in Israel uh, and to identify the right the right operating partners so that our service can be successful in Israel. You know, you know at VIA, we're, we're a tech company at our core. Uh, we've, we have built a platform for dynamic shared rides, uh, and we've designed our system to be more efficient than a fixed route bus or a subway. Uh, and we use all of our data to help efficiently match drivers and riders in real time. So, you know, in, in considering how it makes sense to enter a market like Israel, you know, we're happy to license our technology to uh, a public transit provider uh, or a bus company, um, you know, to help them operate more efficiently uh, or to a local operating partner um, because we truly believe that the VIA system provides a more democratic and a more egalitarian mode uh, of getting around than the bus system. And we're excited about continuing to explore um, the kind of opportunities that, that exist in the Israeli market. So do you have a date when you're going to open <laughs> the Israeli office? No, there is we, we don't have a date, but stay tuned and I will keep you posted. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, so I will try to, you mentioned it when you spoke earlier. Uh, VIA is part of the new form of employment uh, referred, to, referred to as a shared economy. Uh, uh-huh. And there is currently a strong debate over the classification of drivers as employees versus independent uh-huh. contractors in similar ride-sharing apps. Uh, as far as we know, the court decisions in the U.S. differ in their tests and classifications um, on these cases, the, these cases. So how do you see the relationship between VIA and the drivers using its platform? What is your... What is your goal? Where are you going with it? So fundamentally, via technology company, we provide the software for our driver partners to connect with riders who are seeking on-demand shared rides. Now, as I mentioned before, one of the ways that VIA distinguishes itself from other ride-sharing platforms is by showing our driver partners that, that we're the company that cares, that cares most about them. Mm-hmm. And that means not only paying them more than they might earn on other platforms, but also helping them connect with vehicle providers and leasing partners, providing them with educational opportunities, connecting them with service providers who can make their lives easier in a variety of ways. You know, we think for the most part, drivers truly appreciate the flexibility to set their own hours and work on the VIA platform when it makes sense for them to do so. You know, for example, a lot of our drivers are recent immigrants that might be going to school at night to become U.S. qualified in their profession from back home and they want to drive during the day to support themselves, or their working parents who arrange their driving hours to maximize time at home with their children. Uh, so so the, the, the flexible independent contractor model allows them to do that. Now, that being said, VIA is essentially a software system, and so uh, it's a platform that can operate in a variety of environments, depending on the needs of a city, the regulatory environment, and the needs of our public and private sector partners. So one thing that's really great about the VIA system is that it can operate with independent contractors in an owner-operated model, but our partners can also license the VIA technology and run the system on fleets of their own vehicles with their own employees if they want. The system is very flexible, and we think that's really important to meet the needs of a changing global workforce in the 21st century. Okay, so you don't think that there is, there should be a new classification, which is an hybrid uh, classification, something between employee 
uh, and independent contractor, similar to what you just described? I think no matter what system of classification exists, the VIA solution, the VIA operating system, is flexible enough to adapt and can operate uh, you know, in a variety of modes to accommodate different classifications of workers. Um, all right, shifting a little geared here to a different uh, topic, which um, I guess is also a hot and trendy topic, um, self-driving uh, self cars. You probably heard about um, all these uh, experiments going on with self-driving cars. Some of them <laughs> haven't turned out to be um, so successful, but um, we do hope, or I mean, um, a lot of people hope that that's where the future is going to take us. Um, does VIA have a vision for the f for the future of uh, its business in an era of uh, self-driving cars? Yes. Generally, we think that in a world with self-driving cars, these vehicles should be electric, autonomous, and most importantly, shared. Uh, it doesn't really make sense to think about having your own private autonomous vehicle driving you around, parking, waiting for you while you run errands or go to work ending your autonomous vehicle on errands when it's empty, uh, being stuck in traffic with tons of other empty AVs, uh, mm -hmm. running around and running errands for their owners. Um, you know, instead, VIA has built an operating system where we can uh, manage fleets of autonomous vehicles in the future. So mm -hmm. we also think that, generally speaking, these fleets should be owned and managed by municipalities or through public-private collaborations, but not by individuals. And that this kind of centralized fleet management is really key to minimizing the environmental impact of autonomous vehicles. So we're working on some very exciting pilot programs and collaborations, oh. as well as R&D in the AV space. Um, you know, as you may know, Israel has some of the highest concentration of engineers with expertise in this area mm -hmm. in the world. And so through our R&D uh, center in Israel, we're trying to leverage that. Yeah, we're very proud of our Israeli engineers, and we will stay and tuned. Lawyers. <laughs> and lawyers. <laughs> true, true. And any type of Israeli um, developed, um, I guess, stuff. Um, so that um, brings us, I guess, yeah, soda stream. <laughs> had to had to bring that up. <laughs> um, looking um, again into the future, um, so maybe we can. Um, I guess this will also sort of uh, summarize our questions. Um, maybe you can tell us. What challenges, legal or otherwise, do you expect the company will face um, in the near future? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so at VIA, we're constantly evaluating all sorts of new regulatory risks and challenges. Um, because we operate in an area that's really at the cutting edge of technology development and innovation. Uh, and frankly, the issue of transportation and how people get to and from home, to and from work every day, is one of the most important factors that affects the quality of people's lives and that affects economic mobility and you know whether you can afford to get to and from your job and whether you have time uh, every day to get home and you know put your kids to bed and you know whether you can commute efficiently and get a jump on your emails and phone calls but when you get into the office you can maximize your time there I can't think of too many other uh, sectors that have such an important impact on, on people's daily lives um, and so when we're thinking about what are the challenges we face in the future you know, I'm thinking about not just operating the VIA system in the direct-to-consumer mode, but I'm thinking about the legal and the regulatory challenges around you know, licensing the VIA operating system to private and public sector partners, uh, and thinking about how that will encourage us to grow and stretch our imaginations, uh, not only from the product and the engineering side, uh, but also my team on the, uh, on the legal side, and you know, thinking about uh, you know, the different intellectual property issues and, and the different patent issues and the different regulatory challenges that we might face 
uh, as we expand that side of the business. So, you know, I say sometimes I sort of feel like I, I live in the movie The Matrix, um, where there's all these different parallel universes that are happening at the same time that I have to plan for, like every single one of those parallel universes. Uh, like, so for example, this is what the regulatory landscape looks like today. We spent a lot of time talking about the regulatory landscape in New York City. Um, but what happens if most vehicles are electric? Mm-hmm. What happens in a world in which most vehicles are electric and autonomous? Mm-hmm. What happens if they can also fly? Yeah. What happens if the vehicles or the mobile applications can be augmented by like artificial intelligence or virtual reality? You know, there's so many different parallel universes to think about. Right. That's one of the things that makes my job super fun. And do you, de- do you deal with those questions today? Do you have like a think tank in, in, within VIA about those questions and how they will uh, impact the regulations and the laws? Yeah, so I, I think that you know, when more vehicles are, are electric, you know, we're thinking about how we can operate and manage a fleet um, you know, that will accommodate charging of electric vehicles and helping electric vehicles move around efficiently and, and manage those fleets. We're thinking about you know, in the autonomous context, as I described, You know, fleet management software for shared autonomous vehicles where they're not privately owned, uh, but a, a fleet of vehicles that's centrally managed and that runs on the VIA software. Um, you know, and, and we're thinking about, you know, ways in which we can make users' experience better, um, both, you know, augmenting uh, the mobile application experience and the in-vehicle experience. Uh, so those are all things that we're thinking about. And most of those areas are not heavily regulated yet. Uh, although we continue to follow the regulatory developments and whenever we hear about a new proposal, either on the federal, state, or local level, you know, we try to engage directly with policymakers to try to help shape that dialogue behind the scenes. That's, uh, that's very interesting. Um, I think that, um, that was our last question for t- tonight, today. <laughs> Thank you, Erin. That is super, super exciting. And I look forward to using VIA next time I'm in New York City or any of the other cities that you operate in. And I, our listeners um, hopefully will, will too. It's been a great pleasure to, um, to chat with you tonight. And... Um, We, we're really excited to be um, airing this um, episode um, soon. And um, any, any other, other remarks? Anything mm-hmm. else? <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. It's been a privilege. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Um, great. Have a, have a wonderful day. And thank you. Bye. Thank you, too. Take care. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Denny Craig.